Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to your Word. Give me a clear mind, undistracted, and a clear heart to uh, speak what you would want said. We are thankful that we can gather in your name. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful that we come to you as living sacrifices together, offering all that we have to you as a big thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Amen? So just to catch everybody up who maybe this is the first time you're here for this uh, message on the minor prophet, minor meaning not that he's less than anybody, but his book is small, right? There it is. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, and I probably will say it both ways. He, he begins by really wrestling with this wicked generation, wicked king that is ruling the nation. I mean, horrible atrocities. And, and his heart breaks. His heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. And he cries out, how long, O Lord, will I call? Call to you for help, and you will not hear. So he's got this, like, my prayers are going unanswered. And then God answers him and says, listen, I'm going to judge your people. I'm going to send an army, and they're going to just rout you guys. And now he's like, God, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the people more righteous than they? He's like, wait a minute, we're bad. But they're a lot worse. They need your judgment worse than us. What, God, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Why are the really bad guys going to come and get the so, so kind of bad guys, right? And so he's perplexed. And, and then God says, you know, um, I'm going to do all this, but the righteous have to live by faith. And he goes on and uh, he says, but please know this. I don't know if God says please. Um, please know this, the people that are going to, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans that are going to kind of rout you guys, are going to take you into exile, they're going to get their reward too. They're going to they're pay for what they're doing. Look what he says. Because, this is what God is talking about, these Chaldeans and Babylonians. He says, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. So you did it, and it's going to come back to you, right? And he said, for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. So God, in chapter 2, answers him and says, hey, don't worry. You guys are, are going to get exiled, but don't worry. The people who are plundering you, they're going to get their due too. And, you know, I started thinking about how sometimes we struggle with God um, being a judging God right? Sometimes we struggle. In, in Jeremiah, God said, those who plunder you will be plundered. And we just confessed, Jesus will come to judge both the living and the dead. Are you comfortable with this whole concept of judgment, right? Of judgment? You know, I think we struggle with that. I, I remember I was at this uh, pastor's convention and uh, first, this is a picture from like a, it's a, a, it's almost like a big business meeting. 
So they find like the three minutes where anybody's smiling and then they make a promotion with it, you know? Um, <clears throat> and, and so, so the, I'm at this thing, and one of the things I like the most about these is not the convention as much as hanging out with the pastors and the lay delegates afterwards. So we were having this hangout time. Let's say some of the guys are enjoying a beverage and some might be enjoying a cigar. And, and so we're out like in the smoking section. And what I like about smoking sections is other people join you and they're very friendly and conversational. So we're there and these other people that are joining, they have no idea that they are sitting with a bunch of religious dudes, right? And um, <clears throat> somehow the topic of judgment comes up. And the one guy says to me, he goes, you know, I just don't see how God could send anybody to hell. Because if you sin, it, it, you know, the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime, right? Eternity is a long time to pay, right? In infinite punishment for a finite crime. And, and I remember I had just been reading stuff like about that, thinking about that whole question. And I said to him, you know, if you sin against somebody who's finite, then you deserve a finite punishment. But if you read the Bible, all sin is against God first. Remember David when he murdered Bathsheba's husband and, and you know, all this stuff? How did he begin the psalm? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. And I said, you know, before we sin against man, we sin against an infinite God. So when you sin against infinity... What should the punishment be? And he just thought about it. You know, judgment is interesting. And, and you know, one other thing, sometimes in our world we get this thought like, well, God is a God of love and he, and he will send no one to hell and so we just kind of do away, we want to do away with the judgment. And yet, Mirslav Vol actually will say, if you want peace on earth, you better hold on to a God who judges. Why is that? Well, you have to turn on your thinking caps because this guy's a bright dude. In his book, Exclusion and Embrace, he says this. My thesis, that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many Christians, especially theologians in the West. He's right. That's what I'm saying. People don't like the thought of hell. He said, to a person who's inclined to dismiss it, may I suggest that you are delivering a lecture in a war zone, which is where a paper that underlines this chapter was originally delivered. And among your listeners are people whose villages, I'm sorry, whose cities and villages have first been plundered, then burned, and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been violated whose fathers and brothers have had their lives taken. The topic of the lecture, a Christian attitude towards violence. Look what he says. The thesis that we should not retaliate since God is perfect, non-coercive love. Soon you would discover that it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of this thesis. What is he saying? He's like, yeah, in America where you have never suffered that kind of violence, but when you rub shoulders in the market with somebody who has violated your family members, taken the lives of your family members, what's to keep you from grabbing a machete and just taking care of it yourself? What's to, what's to keep you from that? 
And Miroslav Vol would say, and the Bible would say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Like God is the one who will ultimately judge. Now either Jesus paid the price for their sins on the cross, he bore the wrath that we deserved, or they will pay it themselves. There's no other way. But but the practice of nonviolence only happens when you say, Lord, this horrible stuff happened. And I trust you, I trust you that you're the one. I, I give the retribution to the person who's walking free right now to you. Well, the scripture goes on here in chapter 3, and Habakkuk prays, and it's actually a song. There's musical notes uh, on this part of the scripture. And, and he says, Lord, I've heard the report about you, and I fear, O Lord. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he's praying, and we get to see lots of Habakkuk's prayer. The book is really a prayer. And you know what I found interesting? And maybe you, you'll see it. There's a change in his prayer. Do you remember what, how he began the psalm? How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help? And, and you do not listen. Or, or, or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Do you see who he's talking about here? Himself, isn't he? But then when you get to this section right here, who, who, where is his focus? Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst. Like, like all of a sudden, the prayer isn't about the Chaldeans, the, the, Israel, the people of Judah. It isn't about himself. All of a sudden, now, in, at the end of this little book, he's, his mind is set on God. Habakkuk's taken his mind off himself, and he's, he's now more focused on God. And I think there's a, something beautiful in this that will help us in our relationship with Christ when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through suffering. Uh, Tim Keller said this. He, he was talking about suffering, and he said, for some people, suffering will make you um, sweeter. I remember Jim talking about how... He, had he not been hospitalized some years ago, he wouldn't have as much compassion as he has now because the suffering moved him to compassion. But suffering can also move us away from God. He said, I've seen people go through suffering, and you've seen people go through suffering, and some of them get softer and more tender, and others get harder. Some people more empathetic, compassionate, and others more cynical and bitter. Some get more humble, and others get more arrogant. There's nothing that can make you more arrogant than suffering because suffering can make you feel like, oh, nobody understands what I'm going through. It, it makes you feel so noble. It makes you feel so self-righteous. Some people get more humble by suffering. Other people get more arrogant. And maybe you've seen some of that. I've seen both of that in myself. There's a beautiful uh, illustration or example of how suffering actually can make us more humble. In a missionary a shipwreck, there was a group of missionaries, and I know there was a doctor in this group, there was an evangelist in this group, and the leader of the group was um, Alan Gardner. And he was shipwrecked with a number of other people in this remote, uninhabited island off the bottom tip of South America. Now, what's fascinating about this is they actually kept journals. 
And, and they all died because of this. They, they, winter came on, they all died of sickness and starvation. And, and we have copies of their journals. And look at what he wrote in his journal, in his suffering. Lord, at your feet I humbly fall. I give you all I have, all that your love requires. To lack is best, for all is yours. Take care of me in this hour of test. Do not let me have thoughts of a complainer. The guy is dying of starvation and his companions are dying of starvation and sickness. Please don't give me the thoughts of a complainer. I, make me feel your power which gives life and I will learn to praise you while carrying your cross. And his last lines written in his diary on the 6th of September were this, by God's grace, this blessed group was able to sing praises to Christ for eternity. I am not hungry or thirsty in spite of five days without eating. Wonderful grace and love to me, O sinner. I mean, how do, how do you do this kind of stuff? How, how, how did he actually become somebody whose suffering didn't make him sour but made him sweeter? And I think there's a bit of this in Habakkuk. Uh, chapter 3. I don't know if Jojo's in here. Here she is. In Habakkuk chapter 3, I'm going to have Jojo read it because she's a better reader than me. And I want you to listen to what he's saying. I want you to think about where his mind is in this chapter as uh, Jojo reads these verses. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. So did you get a picture of anything he's talking about in that? Did anybody, did your mind go back to the Red Sea? Like he... He, he didn't live during the Red Sea time, 
But all of a sudden, he's thinking about God's time where God moved powerfully in Israel. We used to sing this song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength, my song has also become my victory. These are actually the words from Exodus that the people just danced and sang. And here you've got Habakkuk, who was not alive then, but he's calling to memory what he knows by faith in Scripture, saying, God, you've done all those wonderful deeds. Here I am. I was crying out. I was perplexed. But you know what I'm going to think about now? I'm going to think about all the good things, all the wonderful deeds that you've done. And the Exodus is actually a little picture of, for them, it's the gospel. What, what took place there? They could not save themselves. And what did God do? He saved them. And so for us, we, have, we turn our mind on, Lord, when things were the darkest, when you cried out, take this cup from me, and when you cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You went into the tomb, but you rose from the grave. You rose from the tomb. And although things look really bad for me and things look bleak, I can trust that death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You've got no rival. You've got no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom and the glory. Yours is the name above all names, right? You know what I'm singing, don't you, right? Yeah, I, I remember singing that at my mom's funeral, and on one hand, it's a sad time. On the other hand, you're just like... You have no rival, you have no equal. Does it, does it feel funny to sing a cappella? Do you know, that's what it feels like when you're alone and you're struggling and you're suffering and here you are and you just grab everything you got and you say, Lord, I'm going to turn my eyes on you. You have no rival, come on. You have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all name. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. What a. Yeah, you just want to finish the song. That's what it feels like. You're alone, you're struggling, your mind wants to go to all the stuff that, that, where you're crying out, God, why is this? And you just have to stand there and say, no, no, what a beautiful name you are. Things look bleak for you, Jesus, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Habakkuk in this suffering and in this difficulty, and I'm going to hold on. Could be the end of your life, could be a, another struggle. And sometimes it also helps just to bring to mind past times where you were in the pit or where you were perplexed or you just didn't know what was going on and and then and then you 
you say, Lord, I remember how you got me out of that. I remember what you did. And I'll trust you now. I'll trust you now. Well, the scripture goes on and says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of olives should fail, the field produce no fruit and the flock should be cut off from the fold and be no cattle in the stalls. Imagine a world where you had no food. You couldn't buy it, and your cupboards would bare. And your neighbor cupboards were bare, and their neighbor's cupboards were bare. I mean, Jeremiah talks about this. And if I actually gave you what Jeremiah talked about when he wrote about when Israel and Judah would just be routed, it, it, it's, it, there's children here, and I'm not going to do it. But it's... it's um, It'll rip your heart out, what they experienced. And so beforehand, Habakkuk Habakkuk is saying, if all that happens, I will exalt in the Lord. Like, I'm going to just prepare my mind ahead of time. God, you said it's going to happen. I believe it. I take it by faith. And I will exalt in you. In the midst of the worst thing that could happen, I will rejoice in God, my salvation, because the Lord is my strength. And he's made my feet like hinds feet. He makes me walk in high places. So, so what he's saying is, what's this hinds feet to high places thing? So hinds feet, they could actually stand. You ever see like those, those like a, um, a goat or those the the kind of deers the that way go way up high, they can put their feet really close together, all four really, and somehow they can stand there. And, and back in that day, if you wanted to be the safest, although it's risky because you're up high, but safe, you went up high to escape your enemies because they're coming up and you could take care of them, right? And, and so he's saying, God, you have made me safe. You've balanced me up here and you've made me safe. And this is just a picture of, of what happens in our own hearts. This week, I got a phone call from a friend. Nobody that goes here and nobody you know. How's that? Um, and they were just in the pit of despair. And I was, uh, I remember just talking to them. And you have these times where not exactly while it's happening, at least I have these times, not exactly while it's happening, but... Like after the fact, where I'm like, wow, Lord, you were just taken over there. And I, I remember, like, it was like I was coming to, I'm in this chair, kind of leaning back, and uh, just speaking to my friend, uh, the, what I learned through de- times of depression. And, and what I've learned from some of you in your struggles with depression, and and, and during, during depression, many times the voice of the evil one is saying, look at your performance. Look how you haven't lived up to your own standards or God's standards. And, and you know, there's just this like voice of condemnation just coming at you. And I had the beautiful opportunity just to help him quiet the voice of the evil one. And to start listening to the still small voice of God who says, I'm your beloved, that I love you, that you're mine, that I expect more failure out of you than you expect out of yourself, right? And this grace just was pouring out upon, and they said, I know why God wanted me to call you today, 
You know, this, this ability to move out of the dumps and, and uh, think in God's way. Many of you know of a gal who is past now, Corey Ten Boom. She and her family rescued Jewish people during the Holocaust, during the World War II. They lived in Holland. They, <clears throat> they were righteous Gentiles. They took Jewish people in. They saved them. And they were also caught, and they were thrown into a work camp. And at this work camp, she said 700 women died a day. She lost her sister in this camp. Her parents also died. She survived the camp. It was a, a horrible situation. But I have a little video clip of her talking about what it was like to be in this camp. There were moments of great despair. I remember one night I was outside the barracks and there were beautiful stars. And I said, Lord, you guide all these stars. You have not forgotten one of them, but you have forgotten Betsy and me. And then Betsy said, no, he does not forget us. I know that from the Bible, the Lord Jesus has said, I am with you always until the end of the world. And Cory, he is here with us. And we must believe that. It is not feeling, but believing. And I slowly learned not to trust in myself or my faith or my feelings or trusting in, but trusting in him. Feelings come and feelings go. They are deceitful. In all that hell around us, the promises from the Bible kept us sane. We pray with me, Lord, I, uh, I thank you that although Betsy died in the camp, she knew you were with her, and that all of us, suffering comes into our lives. But you have no rival or no equal. And now and forever, Lord, you're here. Father, thank you that you hold each person here in the palm of your hand, that you breathe your breath of life on each person, that wherever we are or wherever we've been or if, if you're watching online, the Lord is with you. He hasn't left you as orphans. He's with you. Jesus, for that, I say thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.